0: Hey there, and thanks for tuning in to a message from New King Church. We're a church located in South Burlington, Vermont, and our prayer is that this resource would help you find and follow Jesus. If you want to know more about our church and the ministries we have, check us out at newkingchurch.com.
1: verses 15 through 22. When I'm finished I'll say this is the word of the Lord and you can respond by saying thanks be to God. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to engage him in his words and they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians saying teacher we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully and you do not care about anyone's opinion for you are not swayed by appearances. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard it, they marveled, and they left him and went away. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Good morning. good morning. Well, thank you. I'm glad to be back. Um, if you are new here, my name is Ben. And um, if you were here for the first time last week and you heard Tim preach, I have good news and bad news. Um, the good news is that um, God can speak even through me. Uh, the bad news is if you want to hear Tim, you're going to have to drive down to Rutland Um, Or listen to him online. Um, I listened to that message, and it was so, so good, so full of faith, so anointed. I hope that you were here for that and heard that, and that the Lord uh, is still using that in your life. So I have been away. I've been out of town for a couple of weeks, and um, we have been down in Georgia. And in the time that we've been down there, I've gotten to share over and over and over again um, what God's doing here. And it's amazing, it is amazing how just telling people again and again what God is doing here has created this clarity in my mind. And so, I just, before I jump into the sermon, I just want to tell you what I've been telling other people about what God's doing here. I've gotten to share with four churches two uh, in Georgia, two in Alabama, and 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 here's what I've been telling. The the question has often been asked. What's it been like since COVID? What have the last two years of ministry been like? Because I haven't given an update in about two years. And, you know, the last update they got, the first two years of our our church, um, 2018, 2019, were up and to the right. You know, if you looked at all of the measurables that people often look at, which is Sunday attendance, people serving in ministries, um, community groups being started up and to the right for two years. Um, and then COVID hit. <clears throat> and <clears throat> as COVID hits, all of a sudden we're shut down and a few months later we're trying to gather back together and it's like we're replanting the church and people are shifting around and moving, and, and probably many of you have that story, that during, during those first 12 months or so, you were, you were moving around, trying a different church. That happened um, all over the United States. And by appearances, if you just looked at what we saw, you know, numbers of people sitting in seats, it would look like, man, the work is really slowed down. But that wasn't really the case, was it? Because in the first 12 months of the pandemic, there were twice as many bab- baptisms here as we had ever seen in a 12-month period. The most we'd ever seen was 12 in a 12-month period. And then and in the first 12 months of the pandemic, we baptized 24. And, and some of those, the beginning of those, was us um, saying to people online, hey, if you want to get baptized Let us know. We'll go to the church. We'll fill up the baptismal and we'll baptize you. The first people that responded, that's how we baptize them. Um, Not only that, but God, (laughs) we we had dreamed that this church would be a sending center, a launch pad. And since COVID, we have sent a pastor... Well, the first, the first sending was, was not really our doing, but um, Michael and Shannon Lee, who were incredibly central to this church's core team. Michael was a pastor. Shannon was leading kids ministry. Um, Michael did our bookkeeping. I mean, incredibly core people moved to Arizona to be closer to uh, Michael's aging parents. And now... You know what? They're working with a church plant there in Arizona to help that thing get going. And so that was not even our doing, but but that was a sending out of someone from our core. And then not long after that, um, another dear family that was central to our core, whose names I, I have to withhold because of security reasons, we were able to send over to Central Asia. To do work among an unreached people group, to plant churches among an unreached people group. And if you want to hear some stories about God doing miracles and opening doors, come talk to me. I will give you an update. It's mind-blowing what God is doing with them right now. And then, not long after that, um, we all sat up here with masks on our faces, and there was about uh, 20 people, maybe more than that, including kids sitting across this stage that we prayed over and sent out up to St. Albans to plant Redeemer Church. And so we sent out all of these core people, people serving in in ministries, leading ministries, leading community groups. We sent them out. And that church, by God's grace, is is already established. They They have a permanent location. People are being baptized. God is moving through that church. And then, not long after that, we send out another team to go to Montpelier that is right now in its infancy stages. They're having preview services. They're planning to have their grand opening, their launch on Easter Sunday. And God is working. God is moving. God is adding to their number. Every single time they gather, they have a gathering. There's more people, right? It's unreal what God is doing. God, in spite of challenges, listen, he, his arm is not short. It doesn't matter what, what pandemic comes our way. It doesn't matter what, what happens in this world. He is sovereign. He's on his throne. He is not just trying to work around things like COVID. He is working through them, not just in spite of them, because of them, through them. This is the God that we serve, and it was so clarifying to share this story over and over again, and my faith rose up every time I shared it as I would give thanks to God for what he's doing in spite of us in spite of me this is what god has chosen to do with this church he's chosen to make us a sending center he's chosen to make us a launch pad this little church and so what does that mean for us now well we look around and we see a lot of empty seats we see a lot of uh needs and leadership why is that because in like two years, we've sent out something close to 20 core people. Core people. Not, you know what I'm saying? The difference here? The people who own the ministry. Not, not like just some people on the fringes who are coming and attending. The, the, the people who are doing the work of ministry. We're sending out our, our best. And so what does that mean for, for us? That doesn't mean you're less than the best. What does that mean? It means God has more for you. We've sent out our evangelists. So what does that mean? You've got to step up and become an evangelist. We've sent out pastors. That means some of you will step up and become pastors. We've sent out ministry leaders. So so someone will have to step up and become ministry leaders. And God will do this. And it will take some time. It's not something that happens overnight. I met a church planter at one of the conferences whose church is about uh, 10 years older than ours. They're in London. And they've planted four times. So there's five churches in their family of churches in about 15 years. And he talked about this. He talked about the growing pains after you've sent out and sent out. And they've never sent out in, a, in as many people in such a short amount of time as we have that's not a bragging thing that's to say no wonder we experience we're experiencing grow, growing pains right he's he, he was hearing our story and going well my goodness in a british accent that was just i loved listening to i was the whole time i'd listen to him i think lord could i switch over to a british accent would anybody think that was weird if i just came back to vermont and it was just british accent from here on out People kept talking about how great Tim's sermon was last week. And I thought, well, yeah, but what if I come back with a British accent? (laughs) He might be loud, but I can I can speak with a British accent. So so I just I share all this just to say. um, Cheer up. Cheer up, folks. God is at work. Maybe you say, I am cheered up. Well, cheer up more. (laughs) God is at work. Let's act like it. Let's smile like it. Let's praise like it. Let's work like it. And he has so much more to do. So much more. He is just getting started here. And so... I'm excited. My faith is soaring. I believe that God is he is about to do things that if he were to tell us now, we wouldn't even believe him. And so, be encouraged. Smile. Jesus has saved you. He's forgiven you of your sins. There's no condemnation anymore. So cheer up. He's at work. He's sending people out. He's planting churches. He's taking back ground from the kingdom of darkness. So cheer up. We have so much to be thankful for. And now I've got a lot to say about the sermon, and I'm already 10 minutes in. So we got we to gotta jump in, but I want to pray. I want to pray for Ukraine uh, and the situation over there, and I want to pray for your hearts and mine as we hear God's word that he would do something miraculous and supernatural right now. Father, and we think about right now um, the people of Ukraine, what they're facing. Um, bombs exploding, shelling, being driven out of their homes, driven out of cities, fleeing with their children in arms. Um, God, we think about especially our brothers and sisters who are over there. And we want to pray for them, God. We want to lift them up before the throne of grace. And we want to beg you, God, to, to be with them, to strengthen them, to provide for them, to guide them on every decision that they're having to make, difficult decisions. And God, we ask that you would, in the midst of all of this, give them a peace. Let peace reign in the hearts of of our brothers and sisters in the midst of all the chaos and challenges and and fearful things. May they be steadfast and immovable, God, and joyful, joyful, a peace that passes understanding. Strengthen them to stand firm no matter what persecutions they may face. Lord, Lord, Provide for every physical need, every meal, give them every day their daily bread. We ask it. Put roofs over their heads. Shelter them from spiritual enemies and physical enemies. Hide them under the shadow of your wing, Lord. And God, we ask, stop, stop the enemy's advance, stop Russia's advance into that country. Lord. Work a miracle. Do something supernatural to turn them back. We ask it in Jesus' name. We pray for them in the name of Jesus. Be with them. Be in that situation. We know that you rule over the nations. The nations are a drop in the bucket to you. You are sovereign, Lord. And we, we ask you to work and move in a way that is for their good and for your glory, and we believe you will do that. And Lord, we pray for this morning. We pray for our own hearts, God, for for the lack of faith that's there. Breathe new faith into us. For the discouragement that's there, Lord, breathe new courage into us. Where we have forgotten what's true, Lord, remind us. Where we have seen the gospel as a small thing, forgive us open our eyes lord tear down the deceit in our heads lord do restoration to our souls convict us change us we pray do this all for your glory and our good we ask it in jesus name amen so i'm gonna try and go through the first part of this sermon pretty quickly um I want to give you a picture of the context here in this passage. Um, The heat is being turned up. Jesus has been more directly exposing and accusing the religious leaders of his day. Maybe you remember, um, maybe you were here for Eric's sermon where he kind of went over these parables, these three parables that precede this. And in those parables, he is very clearly calling out these religious leaders, and he's saying the kingdom is being taken away from you and given to those who will bear its fruit. And so they're getting attacked, and this is their counterattack. And so in the passage that we just heard read, we see the counterattack of the Pharisees, verses fifteen through twenty-two. And then, if we would have kept reading, there's a counterattack from the Sadducees, and that's verses twenty-three through thirty-three. And then finally, a lawyer gives his best shot at Jesus, and that's in verses 34 through 40. And each time, these, these men, these religious leaders, the, the, the best and the brightest minds of the day, mind you, each time they try to outsmart our Lord and try to corner him and try to entangle him in his words, what happens? It gets turned around on them and it backfires every single time. Um, The Pharisees work with the Herodians, who apparently are uh, a party that originated in a kind of hero worship of Herod the Great. So this would have been a party that the Pharisees would not have seen eye to eye with. They would have not normally worked with. But out of their great hatred for Jesus, they decide, we'll work with them. And so the Pharisees and the Herodians put their heads together. They, they come up with the best plan that they can possibly come up with. And they give Jesus their best shot. <clears throat> and it backfires. Jesus is infinitely smarter than the than the wisest men and women on earth infinitely smarter he cannot be outsmarted he cannot be defeated and so this morning we're going to look at that first attack in verses 15 through 22 and here's my first point for us this morning point number one is that the rulers plot in vain Look at verse 15 with me. It says, Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words. They they plotted how to entangle him in his words. Well, about a thousand years earlier, the psalmist wrote in Psalm 2 this. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the lord and against his anointed and then it says this in verse four he who sits in the heavens laughs the lord holds them in derision he laughs you say that's not nice CSB translates that phrase, the Lord ridicules them. He holds them in derision. He ridicules them. Jesus Christ, the anointed one, the one who now sits in the heavens, who came down to earth, had the rulers of this world who came together, who worked together, plotted together, give their very best against him, And I wonder what, what he did when he heard their question. I wonder if he laughed. The Bible doesn't tell us, but I wonder if he did. What I can tell you is he wasn't phased. What I can tell you for sure is he didn't wring his hands. He wasn't like, oh, no, they teamed up against me. I can tell you he didn't shift in his seat I can tell you he didn't get a twinge of fear. He wasn't nervous. He was completely unafraid, completely unmoved by their attack. Look at verse 18. Here's how he responded to them. Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Does that sound like the words of somebody who's afraid? No. A hypocrite. Um, we see that language a good bit in the gospels and Jesus uses that word to describe the religious leaders a good bit and, and it means an actor on a stage. Somebody back then, the actors on the stage, they would wear masks. So a hypocrite was someone wearing a mask. Someone who wasn't Really, who they were trying to portray themselves to be. And Jesus sees right through their attack and he calls them out on it. He's not afraid. There's never been and never will be another man like Jesus. And so we stand in awe of him. We stand in awe of someone who can who can go up against the brightest. The, the, the men with all the power and be completely unfazed by them, totally unmoved by them, and who can never be outsmarted by them. And I, and I want to remind you, church, that the same is true of him today. The same is true of him today. As, as Russia invades Ukraine and the, the rulers of this earth Come up with their plots and their plans and their schemes of ways that they're going to take over the world, or their schemes of the ways that they're going to snuff out innocent lives, or their schemes of the ways that they're going to silence Christians. And the Lord who sits in the heavens laughs. He is sovereign, He rules over all. His plans can never be frustrated. So what does that mean for us? Well, it means we can stop worrying. (laughs) It means we can just stop that because if God isn't worried, then why should I be? Right? If he's he's the one who's in control and he's adopted me into his family and loves me and has shown that he has has his best intentions for me, then, then I shouldn't worry. I shouldn't worry. If he isn't worried, then then neither should I be. If God is good, and he is, and if God is totally in control, and he is, and if we are his beloved children, and we are, then we have absolutely nothing to fear. So, say it again. Cheer up, people of God. Cheer up. Listen. How can we be light in a world that is terrified and anxious? We can cheer up. Because our God who sits in the heavens is in control. And he loves us. He has forgiven us. He has determined to do good to us. So we can cheer up. No matter what comes. I heard a quote last week by Adrian Rogers. He said, there are three kinds of people in the world. Those who are afraid, those who do not know enough to be afraid, and those who know their Bible. So do you live your life dominated by fear or do you know your Bible? Do you know how the story ends? If you haven't read the ending, you should. It's very good. It's very, very good what, what is coming for us in the end. You know, we hear the phrase eternal life a lot in the New Testament. You could also translate that the age to come, the life in this, in the eternal age. So when, when Jesus talks about eternal life, he's talking about an incredible, an incredible life that's, that's ours, that's coming for us, where we're going to live where We're going to see God with our eyes, and we're going to be transformed into his image, and we're going to live under his rule and reign, and evil will be vanquished, and every tear will be wiped from every eye, and the domain of darkness will not exist anymore. There will be no more lies and deception. There will be no more hurt and pain We are inheriting that life. That's coming for us. You should read the end of the story. It's good. So we see that the rulers of this world plotted in vain when they tried to go against our Lord. But it wasn't only because of his superior intelligence. If that was the case, then um, this wouldn't be a whole lot of encouragement for us. Because we, we don't have that intelligence right amen there's another reason that they were not able to entangle him in his words that's a big encouragement to us and that's my second point um jesus lived for an audience of one look at verses 16 through 19 they sent their disciples to him along with the herodian saying teacher We know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully, and you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. Now, verse 16, if you didn't catch it, these words are flattery. Verse 16, teacher, we know that you're true and you teach the way of God truthfully. You do not care about anyone's opinion, but you're not swayed by appearances. This is flattery. They don't believe what they're saying. They don't believe that he's a good teacher, that he's truthful. They don't believe these words. They're trying to use flattery to puff him up, get him a little bit off balance. And then they're going to try and put him between a rock and a hard place and knock him over. They are asking him a question. This question, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? They're asking him a question that what they, in, the, in their minds they think no matter how he answers this, he's in trouble. So they're trying to alienate him either from Jewish citizens, from, from the general population, or from Rome, who's in power, who has the power to arrest him. So first century Jews were some of the the most overtaxed people in human history. And so this was a soft spot. (laughs) And they were being overtaxed by a a very corrupt government. And so there's there's a lot that they wrestled with in paying their taxes. I'm giving money to this corrupt government. I'm not sure if I should do that. And so many Jews considered payment of Roman taxes to be sin. And on top of that, this tax in particular, um, it was called the poll tax. And, and the payment was a denarius, and a denarius, Roman coin, all Roman coins, had Caesar on the coin, and then underneath it, it said, Caesar is Lord. And so um, first century Jews saw this as an idolatry, right? It's, it's, it was idolatry, but but they would refuse to even carry the coin on their person. I'm not sure who it is that had the denarius on them, but they were probably a little bit embarrassed to pull it out, you know? Okay, Judas, we know you got a denarius. Let's see it. Come on. You know? And so... So what's he going to say? Because if he says that it's lawful to pay taxes, well, well, then he might then he might be shunned. He, he might be rejected by the entire Jewish population. On the other hand, the Roman government would have been keeping a close eye on Jesus, right? As his popularity is growing His followers are growing, word about him is spreading. The Roman government, to be sure, was keeping a very close eye on Jesus. And so, if he says, no, don't pay taxes to Caesar, then what happens? He's getting arrested. Now, the the Pharisees are thinking, well, we don't have to worry about him anymore, right? And this was their goal. In, In Luke's account of the same story, we find out that was exactly what they hoped would happen, that they thought would happen. They thought he would say, don't pay taxes, and then he would get arrested, and then we're done with this Jesus guy. That's what they thought. But it didn't work. And, um, and Luke's, Luke's angle on this story gives us some really helpful insight into why it didn't work. So in Luke's gospel, in, in Luke 2019, he kind of sets the story up by letting us know that these religious leaders feared the people. That's what he says. They feared the people. And so what Luke is doing is he's giving us a contrast between the religious leaders who feared the people and then Jesus who just didn't. And so the reason that their plan didn't work was not only because of of Jesus' superior intelligence but also because their flattery about Jesus was actually true. (laughs) He didn't care about the opinions of people. In the the Greek, where it says, you do not pay attention to appearances, what does it say? It says, uh, you are not swayed by appearances. In the Greek, that is, you are not a face-looker. You do not look at people's faces. In, In other words, you don't decide what you're going to say or how you're going to say it based upon whether or not people will like it. Wow. We say wow because that is so foreign to us, right? That's so foreign to us. And so the whole reason that this didn't work was because their flattery was true. He, he, he wasn't... He wasn't swayed by the opinions of people. He was completely unmoved by how they would react to what he said. He didn't live for the approval of man, but he lived to please God. He lived for an audience of one. He lived to please his father. I always do the will of my father who is in heaven, he said. Always. There was never an instance, never a moment, never a sliver of time where he did not do the thing that was most pleasing to his father. He didn't look at people's faces. He didn't read the room. He, he didn't, he didn't tiptoe around how people were going to hear what he said. And, and at times, he ran entire crowds off by what he said. So what is a face looker? I mean, let's, let's, let's think about ourselves here. Have you ever been in a conversation with someone and found yourself backpedaling because you realize that something you said, not, not something you shouldn't have said, but something you, you should have said, something true. You find yourself backpedaling because something that you said that was true is, is making them angry with you. Have you ever gone against your God-given convictions on sexuality or gender or anything else because of pressure in your workplace? Have you ever avoided speaking up when you had the opportunity to say something about your faith in Jesus simply because you didn't want the conversation to get awkward? Guilty. Guilty. That's what it is to be a face looker. It happens when we care more about people's opinions of us than we do about God's opinion of us. We care more about someone's opinion of us than we care about the truth. Here's how important the truth is. Jesus said, for this reason... I was born, and for this reason I came into the world to testify to the truth. It's that important. And just like the religious leaders of Jesus' day, when we fear the opinions of people, it turns us into hypocrites. It turns us into mask wearers and actors on a stage. Double-minded people Wanting to please God on the one hand, but wanting to keep my job on the other hand. Wanting to please God on the one hand, but wanting to be liked on the other hand. Wanting to please God on the one hand, but also wanting my family not to reject me. And I'm not saying that these aren't hard things, right? Don't hear me wrong. These are hard things. That's exactly what Jesus has called us to. Really hard things. He said, anybody that wants to come follow me, you're going to have to die to everything. Jesus isn't saying, hey, I would love to just be added on to your life as a, like a, something you do on the weekends and, and in the mornings. I can really make your life better incrementally. That is not what Jesus says. He says, I want to completely reorient your life. I want to completely change everything about how you see the world, how you process the world, every decision you make. I want everything. I want your job. I want your family. I want your loyalty. I want it all. That's the call to be a disciple. And church, it's the call to life. So cheer up. Okay, cheer up. Come and die with me because there's life on the other side of it. This is, not, this is not a doom and gloom message. This is good news. It's good news to go and die with Jesus, to lay down your life for him. This is good. You get life on the other side. Those who love their life will lose it, but those who lose their life for his sake, they get real life. Not just later, not just in heaven, now. You get real life now. You get to experience life as it was meant to be experienced today. So it's good news. Jesus lived this way, he lived for an audience of one. It made him impossible to control. <laughs> It made him dangerous to this world. And, and here's what we need. Here's what we need to walk away today convinced down to the very, down to the core of our being, all the way down into our bones. We need to be convinced of this. We have the ability to live the same way. We have this, we, listen, we're not Jesus, but we've been given his spirit We're not him. We are never going to do this perfectly, but we are called to live like him and we are empowered to live like him. He has given us a spirit, not of what? Fear, but of power, love, and self-control. And this is exactly how the early disciples were identified as being Jesus's disciples. Check it out in Acts chapter 4. Let's look at this one together, Acts chapter 4. So in Acts chapter 4, Jesus has already given the the great commission to go and make disciples, and he's ascended into heaven, and the the Holy Spirit's fallen on the church. The church has been empowered by the Spirit of Christ, right? And here's what we read happens in Acts chapter 4. Peter and John are healing people, and they're they're out sharing the truth about Jesus in public, and it says, now when they saw the what boldness when they saw the boldness not wisdom not superior intelligence just the opposite when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated that they weren't smart that they were common men so we don't have to worry about having all the right words and sounding eloquent Paul says, I intentionally came to you and didn't use words of eloquence. I came and used very simple words so that the power of the gospel might not lose its power. So they saw the boldness of Peter and John. They perceived that they were uneducated, common men, and because of that, they were astonished. Nobody's this bold except for who? Jesus. They recognized they had been with. Jesus. So they they call them, they charge them not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. They try to threaten them, they try to silence them with fear, but Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Now let let me just remind you of something about Peter, who just said that. This is the guy who denied Jesus three times because he was afraid. What happened to him between the denial and here? He was given a spirit, not a fear, but of power and love and self-control. He was given the spirit of Christ, this Christ, the one that we're reading about, who looks at people and says, why put me to the test, you hypocrites? He was given that same spirit. And now he says, throw me in prison if you need to. I'm going to obey God. I'm going to say what's true. And this world doesn't know what to do with people who do not fear man, but fear God only. So how would you live differently if you Lived for an audience of one? Would you, would you still have the same career? Would you still chase the same things that you're chasing, live for the same things that you're living for? Would you refuse to go against your convictions in your workplace even, even if they're threatening you? Would you be more outspoken about your faith at work with your peers, with your friends, with your family, Boldness to speak the truth when it's hard. That's what characterizes people who've been with Jesus. And I just want to encourage you, church. Listen, I'm not, I'm not preaching this as somebody who's arrived. I, I want to encourage you that I'm saying, according to the scriptures, this is available to us. He will give us this. It's a gift. And if you feel more like Peter pre Pentecost, well, then let's pray for Pentecost. Let's pray that he would pour out his spirit into us and empower us with a spirit of boldness to go out and actually speak the truth with those who do not know it. So I want to get to my last point here. Um, what do we do today? I want to give you something today. How, how do we, how do we respond to this if we're not already walking in this? Which I would venture to say is just about every one of us in here. So what do we do? And that's my third point. We render to God what is God's. Here's what Jesus says, verse twenty: Whose likeness and inscription is this on the coin? Verse 21, And they said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard it, they marveled, and they left him and went away. So in one quick reply, he silences the mouths of his opponents. And here's what he essentially says. He says, um, he points to the teaching of the scriptures that say that God's people were to submit to the authorities over them as long as those authorities were not asking them to do something that was um, in disobedience to God and then he, and then he says so, so pay your taxes and then he says oh and, and also give back to God render it's, it's the, the verb give back give back to God what belongs to him which is what everything <laughs> everything Your whole life. So, just like the coin was stamped with the image of Caesar, you and I were stamped with the image of the living God. We were made in his image and likeness. We carry around his image and likeness. We are in disobedience when we do not give back to him what is his, which is our whole lives. That is the call. For all of, every single time Jesus calls disciples to follow him, it's a call to come and lay it all down. To let God have it all. Every bit of it. And so we render to God our whole lives. You know, I was thinking about it. The, the, the problem with humanity going all the way back to the garden was this. this. We thought that we could live autonomously separated from God, that there wouldn't be consequences for doing things our own way apart from Him. We chose separation from Him, autonomy. And this is the battle for us still today, is it not? We wake up every day and we, we, have a, we are faced with a war. Will I live independently of God today? Will I submit to Him? Will I choose not my will, but his. Well, I give to God what is God's. I've bought um, five different houses in my lifetime, and and at every closing, you sit around this table, right? Many of you have done this. You you fill out, you sign paper after paper after paper after paper, right? They're handing you another paper, you sign it, you hand it, right? And at the end of it all, what happens? When, it's all, when all the paperwork's been signed, what happens? The people who owned the house before take out the keys and they, they pass them over the table. They give you the keys. And at that point, the house is yours. You own it. And it would be a little bit weird if those people that just passed you the keys... Came back to your house now that you're moved into the next day or the next week and said, Hey, we got a little project we're gonna do over here just on this side of the house. Don't mind us. Just a little thing. We're not gonna like invade the whole, you know, it's basically yours, we just do a little project over here. Or we're just gonna do a little bit of rearranging in the yard. We have some vision for that. You'd be like, heck no, get get off my property. You you gave me the keys. I own it, right? Many of us are afraid to slide the keys of our life across the table and let go and say, God, it's not mine. You own it anyways. And I'm, and I'm done trying to rule my own life. I'm done trying to determine the course of my life for myself. And I believe, God, that you're actually better at running my life than I am. And so you, you have the keys. And I and I will try really hard, God, not to come back tomorrow and try and take over again. So I want to end with this. I want to end with, with this. How, how do we give him the keys? How do we... Render to him what is his. It says in Romans 12:1. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. What does it mean to present? You, you go to him and you say, here I am. Here I am. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Why? Because the blood of Jesus has purchased you and washed you. That's why you're holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. This is how you render to God what is God's, is you give him your self. And unfortunately, it's not a one-time decision, but it does start with a decision. It does start with a total surrender. And that's what I want to call you to today. If you've never Slid the keys across the table and let go Then that's your move for today Another way we like to say this around here is if you've never put your yes on the table What does that mean? The you guys heard about abraham last week and what does it say about abraham? It says he went out not knowing where he was going What does that mean? It means he said yes god Now, what did I just say yes to? He didn't even know what he was getting. He said, yes, God. Now here, I'm going to sign the paper. I don't even know what I just signed. That's the kind of person God is looking for. A person whose heart is totally his. You put your yes on the table and then he tells you what he's going to do with you. You don't get to weigh it out. He doesn't, he doesn't, come, to, he doesn't come to you and say, Okay, here's what I was thinking. I'm going to throw this out there, and if you like it, you know, you can take it. Um, If not, I'll come up with a different plan. I'll come back. I'll toss that one out there. Until we find something that that works for you, I just want to work for you. That's not how God works. He keeps his mouth shut, silent, until you're the kind of person that will say yes. And so what I have found in my life is it wasn't until after I put my yes on the table, until after I slid the keys across the table, that I knew what the next step was. So, church, will you render to God what's God's? Present your life to Him. Will you choose today to give Him your future, to trust Him with everything, to not be afraid of men. Here's what Paul says in Galatians 1 and verse 10. I'm going to look at this one last one. For I, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. In other words, you cannot serve both man and Jesus can't. So we've got to make a decision, church. Are we going to serve God or are we going to serve people? Are we going to be afraid of people or are we going to fear God? Will we live for an audience of one? I want us to uh, bow our heads, go before the Lord, and just with with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're here this morning and maybe you do not yet know this Jesus, you've never surrendered your life to him. You've never said yes to him, not even for the first time, never really repented of your sins and turned to him in faith to, to become a follower of Jesus. I am so glad you're here today. I am so happy that you're here today. I want to tell you that Jesus died to save you. This is the good news, is that you can't earn your way into God's good graces. You cannot be good enough, but Jesus was. He was good enough. He lived a perfect life and died in your place and took your sins and the penalty for your sins on himself, on the cross, so that if you would turn from your sins and turn to him in faith, you could be saved. You could have life forevermore. And if that's you today, then I invite you right now to turn to him in faith, to believe in his name, to say, Jesus, I want to be your follower. Lord, I'm, I'm yours. I don't even know what all I'm saying. Yes to yet, but I say, yes. Take my life. I've been trying to run it my own way, lead it my own way, and it's been a disaster. So, so take it. And do with it what you will. That's the story of so many in this room. That's my story. That one day as a college student, I looked around at my life and I said, Lord, I've been trying to do it my way and I am running my life into the ground. And I give you my life. And he reached down and he saved me He forgave me. He gave me his spirit. And everything changed. So if you've never done this, I invite you to do that right now. Quietly in your heart before God. There are no magic words. You be honest with him. Be honest with him and tell him that you want to give him your life. The rest of us, those of us who have done this sometime in the past, but we're, we're prone to try and reach over and grab those keys again. We, we, try and, we try and remodel the house that isn't even ours. Right now, I just want to invite you to render to God what is God's. To just surrender to Him a fresh Lay it all down. Lay down your job. Lay down your career. Lay down your relationships, your family. He is better. He's a better provider, a better friend. He's better family. He is better. Let go of your sin. Turn away from it. Lay it down. Give him the keys. Lay down the fear of man. Speak up, Tell your friends, tell your family, tell your work, your coworkers, your neighbors, invite them to church. Tell them about what God's doing in your life. God is willing. He is willing to bring souls into the kingdom. If we will work, if we will stand up, if we will speak, may we do it. Oh, Lord, fill us. Fill us afresh as we lay down our lives, as we present our lives as a living sacrifice. Fill us afresh with a spirit of power, spirit of love, spirit of self-control drive out all fear of man. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.